Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. Uh, this week's guest is a revenue growth specialist focused on uh, getting to that first dollar of revenue and beyond. He helps startups and growth companies to efficiently get a lot of new customers by building a scalable outbound sales system. In this episode, we talk about how you can build your own scalable outbound sales system without adding another body or salesperson to your team. We'll talk about some critical elements you need to have in place before you can start building that scalable system, whether it's an outbound or even inbound system. And we deep dive into how you can leverage LinkedIn to start prospecting with B2B customers at scale. We'll talk about what a good system looks like, how you can automate it, uh, what tools you can use for prospecting, and how you can do all of this efficiently so it doesn't take up all your time. Today's guest is a partner and VP of business development at Tall Wave, an Arizona-based business and design and innovation agency focused on helping companies build great products and take them to market successfully. My guest is a revenue growth specialist who's focused on getting to that first dollar of revenue and beyond. He helps startups and growth companies to develop their business model, their go-to-market and launch plans, and then structure their company to reach a lot of customers very efficiently, whether they have 100 sales reps or none at all. And for 12 years prior to Tallwave, my guest served as an operator in three venture-backed startups, all having exits between $77 million and $2 billion. So today, I'd like to welcome Jared Bailey to the show. Jared, welcome. Hi, thank you. Now, I always like to start by asking my guests uh, what, what drives and motivates them to do what they do. Uh, is, there, is there maybe a, f- a favorite quote that you have that maybe represents just how, how, what sort of drives you? Sure, sure. Good question. Um, I guess my favorite quote, I, I think, that drives me is uh, there's a Zig Ziglar quote. Uh, Confidence is going after Moby Dick in a rowboat and taking the tartar sauce with you. <laughs> and uh, and that really kind of sums up a lot of my a lot of my career uh, working in venture back startups for so long. And, and, you know, in one in particular, very early stage, um, you know, it really it takes a lot of chutzpah and uh, and insanity, and um, you know you have to tilt at a lot of windmills when you're in the startup world, and uh, and, and unless you do that, you're really never going to find success. So you know that that drives me this idea of hey, we're about to do something that's bigger than um, we're probably capable of, and there's really big competition in the market and other folks who've seemingly figured things out. How are we ever going to do it? and still make payroll along the way. And sometimes you're not hundred percent successful making payroll, which I've been through that. Um, but inevitably, you know, it's, it's really having the confidence to go out and realize that you can solve really complicated problems. And it doesn't take an army to do that. In fact, you know, it's a handful of people usually that, that are part of um, doing really big things. So, you know, what drives me, uh, and even now, I, I think one of the main reasons uh, that I came into Tallwave rather than jumping into my uh, fourth startup as a co-founder was, um, I've been through all the really hard things that startups have been through, you know, trying to make your first dollar of revenue and then trying to get to one and then 10 and then a hundred million. And, and uh, it's, 
it was really hard at the time, all three times going through it. And I really wanted to come some somewhere to try to figure out how could we create systems around that? How could I, if, if I was going to do it all over again, um, how would I do it? Could I make a system out of it that let me do something that frankly took me three years? Could I do that in six months? And so, um, you know, it's all about really kind of going out, getting in the rowboat and going after uh, Moby Dick. But, you know, if you can carry a bigger harpoon with you, then that's 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 great. So I'm yeah. that's kind of my mission was to sort of come here and figure out how to build systems to do that. Have you seen that new Moby Dick movie, by the way? I have. It's fantastic. Is it really, what's it called? Is it uh, in the heart of the, the sea? Is that what it's called? Uh, heart of the sea. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, with the Australian guy. Uh, yeah. The tall, good-looking guy that I get compared to by my wife uh, all the time. Oh, well. just kidding! That's not, that's <laughs> just not a kidding. bad comparison. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Yeah. Cool. Okay, now we're going to talk. We're going to talk uh, about uh, building a, a scalable outbound sales system today and how to do that efficiently. But before we get into that, uh, can you tell the folks a little bit more about Tollwave? Uh, what what, it, what is it that you guys do, and and how do you help? other companies to, to grow and be successful? Sure. Well, so Tallweave is, is um, we're relatively unique. We're in sort of an emerging class of companies. Uh, you'll hear like, um, you know, uh, Startup Foundry or, or uh, you know, some, some other things, um, venture, uh, what do they call them? Um, venture design firm. Uh, we, we're, we call ourselves an innovation design firm, but essentially what we do is we come, uh, we come alongside typically entrepreneurs or in larger companies, the entrepreneur type that has a vision for disruption in their marketplace through technology, right? Whether it's an app or software. And then we come in and we really um, wrap specific skill sets around usually that entrepreneur is, is existing team to uh, not just develop a product into something great, uh, but then to wrap the trappings of a business around that product being acquisition, uh, sales and marketing systems, um, and then really ultimately branding those companies uh, for entry into market and then and then finally taking them into market. So we're more horizontally focused, whereas branding agencies and design firms and digital agencies, they're kind of vertically focused. We feel that in the earliest stage of venture, uh, whether you're PayPal or you're a, a small startup, it's you really have to pull a lot of those levers all at the same time. So we have a services group that does that type of work all around the world um, for many, many companies. Half of our work is with early stage companies up to Series C. The other half of our work tends to be with larger companies doing solving similar problems, but um, doing it at a larger scale. And, uh, and then also um, about a year ago, so we're about six years old, about a year ago, we launched our first venture fund. So we do have a, a separate but uh, connected business, which is in the venture capital space. Um, we did start to see over these last six years some great exits from our clients, wished we had some equity in those clients. And so we built a fund to give us the ability to take equity positions in, you know, maybe 10 companies a year. So you'll also see Tallwave Capital out there making investments from a seed stage in uh, early stage tech uh, startups. Okay. So for, so the, the capital side of it is kind of more like uh more traditional sort of venture back type model and uh, yeah. the services side is more about uh, complementing the skill sets that uh, founders may have and just helping them accelerate growth uh, by, by fitting the, the, maybe the gaps that they have in, in their own skill sets. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, our, our capital side is just you think of it as just a, a kind of a standard venture capital model where it just it's, it wants to make 10 investments a year and they, it wants them all to have unicorn like exits. So it's always hunting of 500 deals. It might do 10. Um, but, you know, they're always looking for uh, really the best kind of seed stage companies to jump into from a capital perspective. But that's essentially where their value stops. Um, on the services side, we're really more uh, aligned with operations and coming alongside and executing a go-to-market. Okay, cool. So let's talk about building uh, a scalable outbound sales system. You know, hopefully we're going to get into a, a lot of tactical stuff here and talk about the tools and um tactics that you can apply to to sort of implement this yourself. Can you tell the audience uh, what exactly is a scalable outbound sales system? Why should every startup care about that? Sure. Well, you know, I, I, I tell our portfolio and our clients um, the same thing that, you know, you're, you really want to approach revenue like, you know, the, the line manager at a Toyota plant approaches his production line. Um, you, you want to build systems. And, um, you know, as I've been told, and I, and I beat the mantra that a, a system beats individual heroic efforts every day, all day long. And so when you look at revenue production, like you look at a, a, a you know, manufacturing system, you start to look at it in terms of this assembly line of revenue and you are intentional about where you build the systems, where you build uh, predictability and repeatability. And then once you have that, where you automate and outsource and do all sorts of things to make it go faster and basically increase the the throughput of that system. So um, for startups, what they really need to look at, you know, from a foundational level is, is what's, what's the entirety of the system look like, like high level. And then you start to get into the, you know, zero in on the, you know, the, the, tw- the 20 foot level of each of those pieces. But, you know, the, the first piece of the system really starts with your product. So if you have a product that um, cannot activate, engage and retain users, then putting a lot of money into a scalable outbound system or inbound or whatever it is that you're doing to acquire um, leads that effort is really, really wasted because all you're doing is just you're replacing users or dollars with, um, uh, you know, that are going out of your uh, out of your machine uh, with new ones. So you want to really establish a firm foundation and that starts with your product and your product has to really fundamentally drive three metrics. It's got to drive activation. So if 100 users come to my website uh, and only one downloads my product, maybe I have an activation problem. Uh, it's got to engage. So if 100 users are using my product, they download it and they activate today, but only one of them uses it this month, I probably have an engagement problem. And then if I have 100 users using my product this month, but all 100 leave next month, I have a, I have a retention problem. And so for a lot of companies that are in the software space that are going to be seeking venture capital, they try to they try to build all these big numbers with acquisition, but they forget that they have to have the core established first. So, you know, getting into like your product and your viral loops and um, your automation and how you bring users back into the product, that's really core. We're not going to talk about that today, but that's sort of like problem number one to solve. You kind of talked about people talking about acquisition numbers. Is it is it fair to say, if I've understood this correctly, if, if I was telling you, okay, I have a startup and I have, I don't know, 50,000 
50,000 registered users. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that maybe sounds good, right? That sounds like, okay, sure. I haven't been in the market that long. I launched recently. Uh, I've got a sizable uh, user base, so I must be doing okay. But if we dug into that and said, okay, well, actually, of the, um, the 100 people that come to my website, only one is converting. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I have an activation problem because uh, I've had to drive a, a crap load of traffic to mm-hmm. get to those 50,000 people. And maybe I'm just not doing a very good job converting them. Right. And maybe maybe I have 50,000 registered people, but none of them use the product. <laughs> right. Um, and maybe I do have a churn problem as well and people aren't sticking around, but I, I'm not talking about that. So is that is that really what you mean by focusing on the wrong metrics? That is. And, and you'll see you'll see these companies will go around to venture capital and say, look, I have 50,000 registered users. It's a great example. And then the very first thing that a venture capitalist does in due diligence is to say, OK, show me your metrics. And then they find out that nobody's using the product. And so, you know, it's it's no it's no point going and using a fluffed up metric to go raise capital, for example, because due diligence will, will point that out. What you want to be doing is spending your time trying to solve that metric, try to get some of those 50,000 to actually engage with the product. And and that ends up being a product decision or a, a user experience decision and or feature decision, right? You haven't even really got to like growth tactics yet. When you talk about measuring uh, activation, engagement and retention, do you sort of drive towards having one main metric for each of those three areas or that doesn't really matter it's more about being able to tell the story of what's going on in this so so what so when we talked about activation Mm. is there a particular metric that you look at or is it just the overall performance on how activation is doing well, inside activation, right? So you have this like main, the big activation number and you're always looking at it saying, are we moving that number, uh, you know, up and to the right or are we maintaining the right percentage, right? But inside of that activation, activation percentage are a lot of other little conversion percentages that contribute to that. And those conversion percentages can vary based on cohort, right? So you bring a certain type of user in, that type of user may not stick around very long. So, you know, you'll know that based on where you got them or the message you used to bring them in. Whereas other users, you may bring them in as a cohort and and they brought very, very few users in, but all of them activated. They all achieved the activation goal, which was, you know, download the app, uh, create the your login and then execute your first trade or whatever that is that you consider activated. Um, and then you find out that those users in that cohort activate really well. So your activation percentage as a whole is X. But you inside of that, you get clues as far as where product market fit really is and where you should continue or maybe change your your direction of your strategy. Um, so, yeah, it's it, you do want to keep track of the large number in activation. It's, you know, percentage of users that, um, you know, that download the app to how many actually activate, for example. With engagement, it might be daily active users. So what percentage of my of my user base is actually using it every day? Could be weekly active, could be monthly active users. It depends on um, your business and really the space that you're in, which one you want to track the most. You may track all three anyway. Um, and then, you know, retention, you know, that's that's uh, that's the easy one. It's how many of my users did I, well, sometimes it's not that easy to measure, but it's how many of my users actually left and never be seen again month over month. But yeah, there there are metrics inside of those that are metrics that you'll use to diagnose how to improve that that percentage. Okay, cool. So so the takeaway with this is before you even think about anything else and doing an outbound sales system or even inbound or anything where you're going to start to scale, make sure that number one, you know what those three um, 
how those three main areas are performing. And secondly, uh, make sure that you're actually, you're performing to at least a, a, a benchmark number or acceptable number that, that makes sense for your business and industry. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and, but I mean, the rub here is sometimes you don't know how you're performing because you have to still get your first user or users through the system. So you do have to have the ability to acquire users at, at enough uh, volume that you can start to manipulate and even know those metrics, those core metrics, right? From activation to retention. And so, uh, you can't just build it and then hope that you've got the right metrics. You actually have to start bringing people through either a sales pipeline or onto your website and converting or downloading and that sort of thing. So you do have to have some, uh, capacity to attract, uh, users. And that's what we're going to talk about today is a tactic that even an early stage company can use to start to, uh, you know, bring in their first, uh, first potential revenue uh, leads, um, but then use that to, uh, you know, to, to zero in on those metrics. But with that said, even very large companies can use the same tactics just to simply do the mechanics of selling at scale. Okay, great. So that's kind of the product part of the, the framework that you're sort of leading us through. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's next? So immediately adjacent to the product, when the, which in this case, mm-hmm. we will call the either our, our, SaaS product or our our, uh, app. Immediately adjacent is the marketing site and sort of the marketing infrastructure that creates conversions, right? So it's my website, it's whatever conversions I've got, conversion funnels on that website or through my other means. It's my calls to action, um, you know, it's the, it's my pricing, it's my, my nurturing system that I have wrapped around my system in case users abandon before they activate. It's, it's my tool stack, like my CRM, those sorts of things. So that this whole idea of this family of conversion and how you're handling demand that sort of hits your website or hits your sales team and then processing it through. So that's the next place that you sort of have to figure things out before you can really go do things at scale. And so what I mean by that is we, we just came off of something um, uh, just last week, we spent four weeks driving about 30,000 users to a, uh, uh, a new SaaS-based, consumer SaaS-based web product that's going to be launching in the fall. And we did it just to, one, experiment with some acquisition channels, but two, we needed to get the conversion funnels down. And so you look at your conversion funnel, and from the moment somebody hits your website, um, where do they click on? Do they follow your call to action? Are you scaring them with your call to action? Are you, uh, you know, what are they showing interest in, in the, in the website? Um, how much fall off do you have, you know, from the time they hit the, you know, the first website until eventually they get into the place where you're activating them? All those conversion funnels, um, can be done a hundred different ways. And usually they're always done wrong right out of the gates, but you can't fix them until you have some users flowing through it. So, um, but we want to solve that. We want to figure out a conversion funnel that works at least at a baseline level before we go out and, you know, try to bring a hundred thousand people to the website and, you know, just make, make that mistake more egregious uh, by trying to scale too early. So it's this conversion area that we want to focus on. And, and also it's not just what's on the website. It's, it's the nurturing and the automation software that you pick on the back ends, how you build those campaigns. If, if a user gives you their email address for this piece of content, um, how do you nurture that user from that point forward back into your conversion funnel and, and ultimately to buy your product? So that's this whole realm of conversion uh, that, that you have to worry about. Okay, great. And then the, the final piece of this framework is? 
Yeah. So now it's how do you get people there? How do you get people into your conversion funnel? Right. Um, and that's your acquisition uh, phase. Right. So that's the that's the tactics of um, bringing people to the website. And that can be both inbound and outbound. Um, we're going to talk about outbound tactics today. The reason I, I think the reason we talk about outbound is one, we tend to focus on outbound first with new products because what outbound lets you do is it lets you go out and sort of fish with spears rather than fish with nets. So you can spend less resources um, going after really more who you want to sell to and not necessarily the unwashed masses and then filtering out from there. Um, Outbound lets you uh, execute experiments very quickly. So I can conceive of a campaign today. I can have that campaign running in a week and then I can have data from that campaign the week after that. So I can learn really, really quickly um, and be able to make decisions. Um, and so there's a, so there's a couple of reasons why you do outbound. Inbound is really, really critical for a company, especially long term. But a lot of inbound tactics take six to 12 months just to really start bearing fruit, if not longer. They also take a lot of resources as far as building content, distributing it and building the systems around it. Um, and things like SEO, you know, you're constantly competing for certain keywords. You're not even sure those are the key keywords that you should be competing for. So there's just a lot that goes into inbound that uh, that makes it hard to drive sort of immediate effect when you're when you're early stage into the market. So um, acquisition is both inbound and outbound. We'll, we'll talk about some outbound tactics today. Yeah, I think um, for for some people, um, maybe even myself, the inbound marketing approach always seems much more appealing, right? Mm. Because it's like, oh, great. So I can do this stuff and not have to talk to people. Right? <laughs> and they'll just come and buy my product. I don't have to try and sell anybody. But hopefully I think what we're going to try and cover with the rest of this conversation is is also showing people that the outbound part of it doesn't have to be that scary either. And actually it can, when when you and I had sort of spoken about this earlier, uh, you'd, you'd made a really good point and said, you know, this the, the whole outbound process can also be very operationalized and automated mm -hmm. and done in a way which doesn't have to feel um, intimidating. And it can yeah. actually be something that somebody who comes from maybe a development background can actually get excited about. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's uh, that. As I always tell my entrepreneurs, especially the ones that come in with a, a developer background, developer mentality, I say uh, the best sales systems um, and marketing systems, for that matter, tend to come from people with technical backgrounds because they think um, they think in terms of systems already. They think in terms of scale, and uh, and that's really the sort of mentality that the modern um, you know CRO has is. Uh, how can technology and scale really be applied to my revenue machinery? Um, and then once you build a system, it's much easier and less emotionally threatening to deal with a system that's sort of constantly generating an output that you can then, you know, interact with and, and make decisions off of than, you know, just trying to go and like, find your first five customers by like cold calling and hearing a bunch of no's. And, and when you're a technical founder or any kind of founder and you hear people telling you no to your product, that's a really emotionally difficult place to be. Mm -hmm. I know founders that if they hear uh, five no's in a day, they give up selling altogether and they'll admit it. They'll say, look, if I hear five no's, I'm done. I can't, I can't keep having people call my kids ugly. Uh, I have to go back, regroup. <laughs> yeah. 
and, uh, and, and come back again and try it tomorrow. So, um, but if you create systems, there's a lot less of that sort of emotional fortitude required and, and it turns into more of, uh, more of systemization management. Okay, great. So, uh, this might be a good segue into talking about, um, a specific tactic, um, that, that hopefully we can kind of share some, some best practices and lessons from, but, you know, it could be something that somebody listening to this could start working and implementing today. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We'll talk about some tactics that are really lightweight. Uh, you won't, you won't perfect them, uh, day one, but just starting them will lead you to, to being an expert at it. And once you know these tactics, you can pull them out anytime and they're useful all the time. And for a lot of different things from finding talent, not just finding customers, but finding talent, finding investors. I mean, you name it. If you, if you can really nail the mechanics of, of reaching out to, to the market at scale, um, you can really use it for a lot of really powerful things inside of a business. So, so yeah, I mean, you want me to you want me to kind of get started, lay the framework here. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Okay, well, it, it really it starts with data. A lot of a lot of companies, and we're going to talk. Um, I'm going to talk some strategies that are really B two B friendly. You can use them for B two C, but we'll talk B two B because it's easier and there's uh, uh, there's a lot less know how that you need to do it. But let's say we're in a B two B scenario, and and we want to reach out to. Um, you know, vice presidents of HR at, uh, you know, companies of some size. We'll, we'll focus that in a second. So I want to reach out to vice president of HR because I have a SaaS solution that I think they all would love. Um, but how do I do it? Right. And so a lot of startups will think, okay, well, who's in our network and can our investors introduce us to anyone? Does our board members know anybody? And they'll build a list of like, you know, 10, 20 people and they'll start to make some phone calls. Um, and then they'll, they'll use some, you know, kind of different messaging with each one. They're kind of trying to figure out what works, what doesn't. And then, uh, you know, some of them respond, some of them don't. And eventually they end up with like, you know, a couple of, of, you know, demos. And that's just never going to get you there as a company, right? So what we want to do is we want to take the mechanics of just proper, um, prospecting and we want to do it at scale. So to do that, to start that, we need to have enough data. If we're going to do something at scale, meaning maybe I'm going to reach 500 people a week. Maybe I'm going to reach 500 people a day. Uh, well, if I'm going to do that, I have to have enough data, enough people to actually do that with, right? Otherwise, if I have a list of 500, I've got one day of prospecting that I can do. So I want to create the ability to build a machine that runs for a long time and creates a lot of data and a lot of, a lot of uh, activity. So I need to start with data. Um, and so there's a lot of different ways to go. Some people go and buy lists. I don't really recommend that. Most lists are old. They're full of spam traps. If you do buy a list, you need to know how to sanitize them. Um, you know, other companies will, um, you know, they'll start with maybe a, an email list they've already developed. Maybe they've got a content strategy, inbound stuff, and they've got a lot of emails that have, that have been driven off of that. But let's assume we're starting from scratch. We have nothing. A really good source of B2B lists is LinkedIn, right? Everybody knows that. Everybody in the business world's on it, or at least enough that, you know, it's most of the most of the community that we want to reach out to. Um, but the hard part about LinkedIn is that it's inside LinkedIn, right? It's all this great data that's like kept up by its individual members because they're incentivized to do it. But we have no way of turning that into something that we can go use to prospect. Yeah. And they're not very API friendly these days as well. So, oh, yeah. I mean, gosh, there's a lot of tombstones out there for startups that built their whole company on LinkedIn's API and then saw their company shut down. 
uh, when that API shut yeah. down uh, last year. But yeah, so that's a, that's the other thing is it, over time, LinkedIn gets more and more um, protective of that of that data. So what we want to do is we want to try to figure out ways of hacking that system and try to figure out how to leverage LinkedIn in our favor and then put it into tactics that that are easier to use. So um, you have to solve the data piece. And uh, and so that's where we start. So if anybody has ever used LinkedIn, they've probably used the search field. Some of uh, your listeners probably have used the advanced search, right? It's that little link right next to the, the field in the top middle. When you click on advanced search, it opens up all of these fields that you can search against to, um, to search for people on LinkedIn. Uh, what a lot of people don't know is that advanced search uh, supports Boolean expressions, right? Boolean being um, I can nest arguments like and or statements and I can create, I can use negative keywords and I could basically assemble and create a search that's very, very powerful. A lot of people use it on Google to, to um, generate better searches with Google. But uh, Boolean searches on LinkedIn, for example, if I go into the advanced search, I go into the title field. I want to search for VPs of HR. If I actually type in VP of HR in that field and I hit enter, I might get I might get 10,000 results. But if I create a Boolean expression, I might say, because, you know, some people call themselves VP of HR. Some people call themselves vice president of HR. Mm -hmm. Some people call themselves vice president of human resources. And so I want to capture all of those. And I want to see if I can assemble a really big list. So I might create a Boolean expression that, you know, in parentheses, I search for the term VP or vice to capture vice president. Um, And then I'll close those parentheses. I'll say, and... And then another set of parentheses, I might look for HR or human resources in quotes. Um, and now I've, I've expanded my, my search just by building a Boolean expression. And then if I execute that search, my 10,000 results might go up to 50,000 results. So suddenly I'm starting to get this really big list of potential prospects. This is great. I know them by name. I don't have any way of getting them out of LinkedIn yet, but I, but I know who my buyer is. And that's a really powerful place to be as an entrepreneur. Um, but let's say, you know, maybe I also want to talk about directors. So I expand my, my VP or vice Boolean search to VP or vice or director. And suddenly I've got 100,000 results. So you can see I'm really starting to build this huge list. Now, the danger I'm running into is that may not be targeted. I'm targeting companies of all different size and all different industries. Let's say I just want to focus on the hospitality industry in this case. Well, there's a search field for that and I can filter based on that. So I can take my 100,000, you know, uh, HR people and I can filter it down into maybe 10,000 in the hospitality industry. And suddenly I'm getting I'm getting pretty targeted. Maybe I, I also knock off small companies out of that. I look for only companies of a certain size. There's an employee filter that you can use. And then next thing you know, I've got this list of, let's say, 5,000 highly targeted people that would buy that would or could buy my product. Um, that's a great place to start. And most startups never get that far. They never really understand who their universe of buyers are um, because they just don't know how to use some of the some of the tools out there. But now that's my starting point. I've got these 5,000 buyers. So now the question is, is how can I use that list? Um, there's a tool that we use. Well, there's, there's a couple of things that we can do. Let me let me start with this before I tell you how to how you could potentially get to that data. So, so the, pr- the problem we, we have right now is we have this list. Um, it's, well, we don't even have a list. We have a, a search result, right? Yeah. Because uh-huh. from yeah. what I understand from LinkedIn, that advanced search, you can't even export to a CSV or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's right. And so you don't have that. And, and there's no easy way to get hold of the email addresses of those people. Mm-hmm. And I probably don't have enough 
in-mail credits with LinkedIn to email yeah, that's fifty thousand right. people. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So that we're so we're we're stuck right now, right? Uh, we can't get the data out. Um, so that's that's a problem to solve, um, and we will in a second. But but independent of that problem, you think about LinkedIn as a communication method, and it's really an interesting tool. A lot of people don't understand LinkedIn, um, but you know, when, when I reach out to you, like when I reach out to you, Omar, and LinkedIn, and I sent you a connection request, um, you accepted it. And then uh, we might have had a conversation around uh, inside of LinkedIn around um, what's going on. But before you accepted that connection request from me, the first thing you did was click on my name to find out who I am. And that's what's great about LinkedIn that's different than email and other places. It gives your prospective buyer context to actually ask themselves, do I want to connect to this person? And so there's immediate opportunity within LinkedIn to give context to people that uh, email doesn't give them, uh, to give them a face behind the name, to do all sorts of things that make you more approachable as a buyer. Um, also, LinkedIn's good and it's efficient in terms of communicating with people because, you know, if I send you a connection request, you're probably getting it on your link, LinkedIn app on your phone. You're probably also seeing it on uh, on the web app. You're probably also getting an email about me because you've probably got your email hooked up to LinkedIn. So LinkedIn sort of like has this really it's this really efficient way of sort of letting somebody know that you're that you're there. Um, so there's kind of some efficiencies with it. And, and even though we get a lot of spam on our LinkedIn, we still probably read all of it. We don't respond to it. We don't accept everything that comes through, but we read most of what comes through. So the deliverability rate and the um, and the and the open rate, if you will, of LinkedIn is significantly more higher than something like email, for example. So we're already starting off in a, with a good medium. We just have to figure out how we're going to use it. Now, what salespeople do, what a good salespeople would do, if he had or she had the ability to build that Boolean search, even without that, they'll search for their prospective customer on LinkedIn. And a good salesperson will go to that customer on that list, that prospective customer, and they will either send an in-mail or when they run out of in-mails, they'll send a connection request. And they'll say, hey, so-and-so, I'm so-and-so with this company. This is what we do. I'd love to talk to you sometime. Or I would love your advice on our product that we're launching. Or, uh, hey, we're going to be at this uh, big trade show in your area uh, next week. Let's set up a time to get together. I'd love to get more of your guys' story. Some sort of message that is going to create that initial connection, right? What they're not looking for is a sale. They're looking for a connection. And that's the first conversion that a good salesperson wants in their funnel. Once, if, if that good salesperson reached out to 10 people on LinkedIn using that method, uh, it's very likely that 20 to 30% of those people would actually accept it would be a lot higher. I've seen acceptance rates north of 90% with the right message, but let's say 20 to 30% uh, would accept something like that. So now I've got two to three, um, you know, companies who have said, oh yeah, let's connect. I see what your value proposition is. Let's connect. And maybe I've gone to your uh, LinkedIn profile and that's been optimized. So I know, oh, okay, I know what this person does. Oh, that's interesting. They have a value proposition that I like. Um, you know, they've given me enough information to say, yeah, I, I would like, I see value in connecting to this individual. So I've got my three new connections. Now, a good salesperson would monitor who accepted. And then everyone who accepted, they'd go back to that person on LinkedIn and they'd send a follow-up message. Now they're unconstrained by their 300 character limit. They can say, hey, Omer, thanks for connecting. As I said, you know, we're going to be at that show in, uh, you know, in, in Portland next week. We'd love to meet you. Um, or I would, you're an expert in the space. I would really love and appreciate your expert guidance on what we're building because we're building a tool that does this and that. And, and 
of those three people that I connected with originally, one or all three may reply back and go, yeah, that sounds great. Let's get together. Or here's my email. Or what are you doing next week? And that's just a good sales best practices process. The problem is, is that salespeople can't do the mechanics of that at scale. They could, but they're busy building proposals and going to networking events and doing and being on planes to go fly and see customers. And then if you ask an entrepreneur to do that, you even have less ability. Entrepreneurs building product, they're capital raising, they're uh, dealing with client support issues, they're doing all the other stuff. They don't have the time to go through um, that great Boolean search we set up and just execute the mechanics of using maybe the same message um, you know, with changing names and just doing that uh, more than once. If you do get a good sales rep, they might do that. You know, they might reach out to 50 people a week. Well, if that's a good system and that system's worth doing and you're creating all these connections with clients and you're getting all these emails just, just even before they've even uh, connected, then it stands to reason that doing that system at scale might have benefit. Instead of 50 people a week, can I reach 500 people a week? Um, and when you start talking about that, you start saying, well, you know what? I could I could sit here and do this cutting and pasting and going through all these people uh, to try to get them to, to go through this conversion funnel. Or I could have an intern do it. And I could just have that intern just do that one thing. Or I could go to Upwork and have somebody logged in as me to LinkedIn, really executing that workflow. Um, so and that a full time person, you know, working offshore for, you know, four bucks an hour, they can hit 500 people a week. And what you'll see if you just execute that one workflow um, and maybe you're A-B testing, right? So you can have two different messages as you're going through it. You'll really start to see how quickly you can fill a funnel and create connectivity. So we do this. We've been doing this for a long time. This is one of uh, quite a few tactics that we'll use. This works really well when you're first getting out into market. Uh, it doesn't scale forever. You can't do the LinkedIn strategy forever. But, you know, we've we've implemented this with companies that have averaged like one or two uh, demos a month. And next thing you know, they'll jump up to like 60 or 70 demos a month without adding a, a, a person to the sales team, right? Wow. Maybe, maybe an overseas person. So, um, so the goal here isn't to try and get that list and extract that information out of LinkedIn into some kind of email list. What, what we're doing here or with this particular hack is to identify the prospects and then have some kind of scalable way of sending them a kind of personalized message mm -hmm. and just basically growing connections with people who are target prospects within LinkedIn. Yeah, that's right. So we haven't yet solved the problem of how do I extract that data and market to them in other ways. But what we're doing right now is just saying, look, just LinkedIn itself is a medium to actually prospect. So you can actually use LinkedIn inside of LinkedIn to actually reach out to at scale um, your target users. And so you imagine 500 people a week and two, in one month you can reach 2,000 people. And if 30% of those have converted into connections, you already have a, a pretty decent asset from a marketing perspective. But if, you know, another 20% of those convert into, into leads, you've got, I mean, you've got, you've just engineered a pipeline that never existed, you know, 30 days ago. So it's a really, really powerful method and medium for going out initially and starting to reach your first few users. Okay. Okay, great. Good. Good so far? Yep. Sounds okay. Great. 
So now this is great that we're, we're happy. You know, we've got, we've got 60 leads where we had one before, you know, we've got all these, these uh, people now that have seen our brand and, and there's all this goodness coming out of it, but we still have another, you know, 5,000 or 4,500 people that we want to, we want to get to. And maybe LinkedIn isn't the best way to get to every one of them. So we go back to that Boolean list that search results and we ask ourselves, how do we extract it? So there's actually, there's a lot of tools out there now that, are always playing the game with LinkedIn of getting that stuff uh, extracted. The tool that we use quite a bit now that kind of solves all of our problems, we used to use like three different tools to do it. We now use a tool called Perspectify and it's perspectify.io. And what's cool about Perspectify, it's a browser plugin and it's also a SaaS product on the back end. And, you know, you install it on your, on your browser and then you go into LinkedIn and you build that Boolean search or use other criteria for search. And then uh, what it'll do is it'll introduce these new buttons into the LinkedIn UI. And the button says something like prospect this person or prospect this whole list. And you uh, you decide, you get the list to the point where it's, you know, 80, 90% of, of, of accurate. You know, if you're 100%, you're probably filtering too much. If you're less than 80%, it's too much noise in the system. But you get to, to a list where you're like, this is a really great list. And then you use a tool like Perspectify, and it'll actually go through and it'll extract all of those people, including their titles and, uh, and all sorts of other information, their geography, where they're based, their first name, last name. And it'll put that into a system that then you can generate a CSV file out of. But what's cool about Perspectify is then it'll go and it'll actually, it'll look at that user. Let's say that user works at Cisco. It'll open up their, um, their current company, company page. It'll find that URL and it'll start to use that URL to guess their email. And it does, they do all these really crazy things to guess emails and then ultimately validate emails. But that's essentially what they do in the background. So after you've prospected your list of 5,000 people, uh, Perspectify is busy on the back end guessing email addresses for you and then actually scoring them and saying, Hey, these green ones are good to go. You can, you can contact them. Here's some blue ones that are questionable and here's some red ones we couldn't figure out. But what that does is it really quickly solves the entire data problem. Right. And so now I've turned or I can turn that list of 5,000 or 10,000 or 100,000 ultimately into a list of email addresses. And now I'm free to do my my next outreach tactic. I'm just looking at the Prospectify website. This product is is turning your advanced search results on LinkedIn mm-hmm. into a list of prospects here within Prospectify. And then as you explained, it's kind of trying to figure out um, what email address belongs to each person. And then can you use the tool to actually do the email outreach as well within there? Is it all kind of Good question. So Perspectify is primarily a list building tool. And then what you do from there is you, you export that list from Perspectify and you drop it into whatever your, for example, email tool might be. Okay. So it does not do the emailing. It's just doing the list building portion of it. Got it. Good. So let's say we have done that. Oh, I see they're based in Arizona as well. Is this one of the companies that you've been helping grow? Uh, kind of. Um, actually, my head of growth here at Tallwave, he's actually the founder of that company. And ah. we were all tra- trying to solve this problem all the time with multiple tools. So he just went ahead and built one. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been working great. But we have no, Tallwave has, has no like ownership in this company, that sort of thing. It wasn't one that we incubated, Got it. at least not directly. Okay, great. So we have a 
a list of verified emails. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious about just kind of the pricing, the way that it works. They sort of mentioned sort of a, a starter plan at $40 a month for 100 verified emails, and it goes up to $975 a month for 5,000 verified emails. Um, but what if what if I did have 50,000 potential prospects in, in LinkedIn? How, how does that work? Am I paying... $9,000 a month to this product? Yeah, it's just, it's a monthly recurring SaaS model. You can go up or down or, or discontinue it at any point. So if you only needed to pull, you know, uh, 2,000 prospects, you could you could buy one of their bigger plans and pull them all out in a month and then discontinue. Okay, because I don't need to keep it there forever. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay, got it. So now we've got this list. Let's say we are of our 5,000 people that turned into 3,500 email addresses that we can use. So now that's that's my next asset. And by the way, I have first name, last name in different fields. I have their current title and where they're at. So I have some other information I could potentially use for a customized outreach. So now I need a tool to actually do the outreach. And, um, you know, we've used a lot of different tools in the past. Um, Yesware, ToutApp, um, SalesLoft, uh, their Cadence tool is a popular one. Uh, we use Outreach.io for, for quite a while. We're actually now um, pretty heavily using a tool called Reply. And you can find it at replyapp.io. Uh, um, and it's a great, simple tool for doing um, outbound email cadences uh, at scale. And it's got a really great price point. Uh, it's, it's very, very like competitive and it's just kind of one of our favorites. And so what okay. you do is you take that, that CSV file that you exported from Perspectify, your 3,500 names and email addresses, and you put that into Reply App. And in Reply App, this is where you set up your email cadence. So let's go back to like best practices for a sales rep. A good sales rep, if he had 100 people that he was emailing, he would email each of them a very... Uh, short, maybe slightly customized email address or email, excuse me. It would be to that person's name. It would look like a natural email coming out of his or her, uh, you know, uh, Gmail, not, not one of those kind of HTML formatted things that you're sure somebody's spamming you, mm-hmm. but he would send a very natural email to that person. He might have some analytics tool plugged in where he could see if that person opened the email up. Uh, but then in three days or five days or whatever, if that person didn't respond, that good sales rep would then send a follow-up. He'd reply back to his original email and say, hey, I'm just trying again, by the way, here's here's value prop one, two, three, that may be interesting. Or here's here's something that our customers find valuable. Here's a piece of content that they really like. I just wanted to give it to you. Uh, would love to find out who your organization deals with HR issues. Um, and then three days later, if that person didn't reply to that email, that good sales rep would send another one. And he'd say something like, hey, just trying again. Uh, here's something else that's interesting, trying to build value. Um, and then what would happen is before that that sales rep gave up, he'd want to create four or even five connections to that person, four touch points before he gives up. Because what happens in the email world is half of your leads come in steps three and four of that cadence. So if you don't get to steps three and four, you're leaving half of your leads on the table with the same list. So that's really interesting because I think a lot of people would just say after the first or second interaction, okay, I'm done, right? I mean, there's. Yeah. And that's what you would think. And you'll get some people by the third and fourth uh, 
step going, no, hey, guy, don't don't bother me. Or, hey, this is the person that you need over here, right? Give you a referral, which is also great. Mm. But you will actually find half of your actual lead saying, yes, I want to talk. Let's get together. Will happen in uh, steps three and four of that cadence. So if that sales rep gave up before step three or step four, then he or she is is losing out on um, on an opportunity they would have found. The problem is the manual effort of doing those steps and remembering who to send it to. And if you're doing those things every day, it just becomes unmanageable. So you use a tool like Reply and it it manages the sequences for you. You write them ahead of time. And you put into those the custom fields like first name and or title or company or other things that you want to customize. And then the tool uh, manages the process of sequencing those out over time. Now, what happens is if a, if a prospect does not reply to uh, to one of your emails, then they continue to the sequence. If they do reply, however, the system's smart enough to know that and it takes them out of the sequence. So it just kind of manages all of that 99% of the sort of the manual effort uh, up front. So imagine we take that uh, 3,500-person um, list we drop it into something like Reply, and we set a daily limit of, let's say, 50 emails a day. We want 50 emails to go out every day to new people. And then in three days, you know, those same 50 people will get their follow-up step, and then three days later, another follow-up step. But every day, we're sending out to 50 new people. You can imagine the type of activity and level of just um, interaction that would happen over time, and it's really fully automated. So now our sales rep, instead of going out and doing all those manual efforts that most sales reps, frankly, don't ever do, and they certainly don't do it at scale, now they're spending their time doing what they, we want them to do. They're either reacting to uh, people on LinkedIn that are replying with interest, or they're reacting to people over email that are replying with interest. And that's really the most leverageable place for any either sales rep or entrepreneur to be operating when it comes to their sales pipeline, is actually talking to customers. The rest of that process and all of that systemization was done ahead of time and then just run and then and then tuned over time. Perfect. Make sense? So I, I really like that. So so basically um somebody could go and set that up, build a list, um, have a tool like uh reply or some of the others that you mentioned, like uh, Yesware or Tout App or whatever you're using and hopefully just have a system where you've sort of defined up, up ahead what emails and what sequence and what steps and what frequency you want to send these out at. And mm-hmm. the first you really kind of get involved in the process, I guess, is when somebody replies to one of those emails, right? And puts their hand up to say they're, they're interested. Yeah, that's right. And it's usually you've wrapped these systems, whether it's on the LinkedIn or the uh, or the email system, they're wrapped around a, a particular person. Right. It might be the founder, might be might be a sales rep, could be the head of product, whoever. Um, so, yeah, that person just seeing what comes into their inbox and they're responding to it. Got it. Um, I, I'm curious, what's the what's the benefit of using a a tool like Reply uh, compared to maybe just some autoresponder software like uh, mm. Aweber or Infusionsoft or something like that? Great question. Okay, so a lot of people try to build, they, use, they try to use their nurturing platform like Infusionsoft or, or, uh, you know, or Salesforce or, or these other ones too to do all of their outbound um, emailing. 
And there's usually a couple of problems with those systems. One, a lot of those systems force you to sort of HTML format your email. So right off the bat, your users are going to see this email that's sort of HTML formatted, and it looks like it came out of a, a email farm. And that immediately is going to affect your open and response rate, right? So that's one reason you want to do it. The second reason is a lot of those tools... Um, are sending from centralized email servers. And those email servers' IP addresses are known by Google, by Gmail, and, and everyone else. And so it's really easy for Gmail to see an email come from that those server farms and say, oh, I'm putting you in the promotions tab, or oh, I'm sending you to the spam folder. Um, whereas if you're using um, tools like ToutApp or like Reply, they're sending those tools are sending emails from your Gmail instance. And so it looks like a natural oh, email I coming see. through. Okay. So your yeah, so your deliverability rates are going to be north of 80-90%. Your open rates should be, you know, 30 to 60%. Um and so it's just a much better platform for for sort of getting the the getting the email opened, delivered, opened, read and clicked through or responded to. Awesome. Yeah. Um is there anything anything else that folks should know about implementing something like this? Any kind of gotchas or uh, things, things to avoid or, um, yeah, uh, maybe any other question. tools that might be useful for people. Great question. So yeah, you always want to know, um, what the downsides are to anything that you're doing. And so like the LinkedIn thing, for example, that can work great for many months, but at some point you can't send that a, a lot more people, a connection request without getting in trouble with LinkedIn. So there's a very high threshold on that, but eventually that runs out. Typically, what we see with most most of our portfolios is when their new sales reps come in, they'll use the LinkedIn strategy for six months. That sales rep will be hyper connected in their space and they'll have a bunch of leads from it. But then they'll fall back to more of like the email strategy, some of the other social automation strategies, some other things. Um, so, you know, LinkedIn doesn't doesn't uh, maintain forever. It's something that's good to do for about six months per person. Um, the uh, the email strategy if you're going to send out a lot of emails and if you're not really making sure that you want to make sure your email messaging is not spammy, you want it to be very natural. Um, you want to be asking for, you know, referrals and things like that. You want to be really non-confrontational with it. But if you're like super spammy and you're going to like blast the entire world with, with emails, you might want to consider um, running that system through a .co version of your domain. Meaning you don't want to run the risk of ever getting your primary domain um, caught in like, you know, it, you know, everyone has a spam score. You want to make sure that you protect that, that score all the time. So you'll, you can say, you know, set up a, uh, an email, but with your, you know, your domain.co as a, as an alternative to .com. That's a way of just making sure that you're always protecting your main domain from anything spam related. Got it. Okay. Um, and could, could something like this work for, um, I, I don't know. C could I use the same kind of uh, approach and tools uh, to find prospects on Twitter? Uh, yes. Yeah. So uh, Twitter is a great, a great animal. Sometimes it depends on if your prospects are on Twitter. Some markets uh, aren't, but if you're going after like marketers or people in the publishing industry or fashion industries or entertainment, a lot of them are on Twitter. Um, but there's a, there's a tool that I love um, called Socedo. Uh, S is in Sam, O, C is in Charlie, E-D-O. Um, it's a Techstars grad out of Seattle. And what I described already with that LinkedIn workflow, where you sort of automate these steps of sort of 
reaching people and then ultimately interacting with them. So Cedo is a tool that automates that for, for Twitter. So you don't even need, um, you know, an intern or an offshore person. It's a lot of, it's just fully automated. So we have one of our companies, for example, is it's almost exclusively only running on. So Cedo as a platform and it's entire top of the funnel is automated. Um, so it, it, for the right type of uh, product or, or service, um, so Cedo as a as a prospecting tool over Twitter can be really really powerful, and there's a lot of other ways to use Twitter to do uh, uh, to do outbound. But uh, if you're just getting into it, I think Socedo is a good a good first choice. Yeah, maybe I'll have to get you back one day. We'll talk about Twitter as well. This has really been fascinating stuff. Yeah, uh, cool. Okay, so so to recap, we we talked about uh, the overall sort of framework in building uh, this scalable outbound sales system or what you call a, a scalable revenue machine. And we talked about the three sort of pillars of that. One was the product and making sure that um, folks are paying attention to the metrics around activation, engagement, and retention, and making sure that those uh, metrics are healthy before they start moving on to the next step. Uh, then the second pillar was around conversion, which was really about taking your marketing site and uh, building a a funnel where you can start to uh, capture new leads and uh, nurture them through your funnel. And then the third part of that was acquisition, which was using various tactics and tools to uh, drive traffic into that funnel. That's right. Um, and then we sort of went through and talked about the LinkedIn example and how that can be used, uh, how you can basically do some prospecting on LinkedIn. Um, and what I love about that is that um, kind of thinking about the framework and some of the, just the general principles that you shared, uh, I can see how that could work on Twitter or in a number of other places. As long as you're kind of thinking less about the the specific platform or or whatever. I think the the principle. I think what I t- took away was boils down to um, figure out where you can get this data, mm-hmm. um, and there seem to be no shortage of tools out there which will help you in <laughs> some shape or form to to extract that data and then to uh, to do some sort of email outreach. And uh, um, the the lessons that I sort of took away from the email outreach were uh, you're probably going to have to what communicate maybe at least four or five times with somebody? Yeah, yeah. I would say a four-step cadence is where you want to start, and then you'll decide if you want to add another step to it. Okay, and we're trying to keep it very natural. It's not, uh, we're not trying to be pushy. Um, It's kind of more focused on either, as you said, sort of getting referrals or feedback on the Mm -hmm. product people are building, Um, but trying to, to get people to, engage with you so you can continue that conversation with them on, on your product. And, you know, if you can't make a sale, maybe you're just going to get some great feedback about how to make your product better. Exactly. You'll find your, your ability to accelerate your learning once you start talking to strangers is, (laughs) is rapidly accelerated. Great. Uh, This is really good stuff. Thank you, Jared. Um, You bet. All right, it's time for our lightning round. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. I'd like you to answer them just as quickly as you can. You ready? Good. Do it. All right. Um, 
So what's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received? Uh, I would say any deal can be won in the first five minutes if you just tell a story that your buyer wants to be a part of. Nice. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? Well, I love Sales Acceleration Formula by Mark Roberg. Um, It's just very, very uh, comprehensive, but extremely practical. Who was the author? I haven't heard of that book before. Uh, yeah, Mark Roberg. I believe he was the VP of Sales or CRO for HubSpot, if I'm not mistaken. Ah, okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, but he wrote a, a, essentially a manual uh, through the life cycle of a tech company of how you really build a sustainable sales and revenue machine. Uh, what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? Uh, I, I would say the biggest one is just recognition of the skill sets required to execute. Um, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that have a vague idea of the skill sets. And so when they go out to try to pick the people to execute, they pick they pick people who um, really don't have those skill sets. So ultimately, the entrepreneur can't do everything. He or she has to know functionally what's required, and they have to spend time learning that in order to select the right people. The ones who do that really well have amazing companies. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? Uh, well, I, I like Slack. We've replaced all internal communication with it, but it's good for everything from managing sales leads to clients to campaign developments. It's even good for building communities of your buyers on. It's just, it's just an awesome tool. Um, what's a, a new or crazy business idea that you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I'm in the business where I, I'm, it's, I'm constantly plagued by good ideas. Um, I think if, if I could go and do it all over again, I would get into the water business uh, or electric car business. One of those two, those both are huge problems that I find a lot of interest in. I would love to build an electric car that produces po- potable water as you drive it. That would be the ultimate, I guess. But. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Combining <laughs> your passions. <laughs> right. Uh, what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Uh, most people don't know that I'm a twin. Uh, they also don't know that I have won karaoke competitions uh, with Neil Diamond songs and uh, and Weezer songs particularly. So. Wow. <laughs> uh, and finally, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work? Oh, bes- and besides karaoke. Um, besides well, I'm karaoke. A, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a dedicated dad. I'm, I'm very active in my church. I uh, And I'm also focused on teen education and formation in inner city and, and elsewhere. It's a big passion of mine. Awesome. Jared, I want to thank you for joining me today and uh, just sharing your experiences with us and sort of walking through the the LinkedIn tactic and and hopefully uh, folks listening will be able to uh, get some value from that and and maybe start implementing that and uh, you know maybe one day we can we can hear some success stories that we can kind of uh, get back to you with. Uh, if folks it. want to find out more about Tallwave or they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. Well, our website's easy. It's just tallwave.com. It's T-A-L-L-W-A-V-E.com. Um, and then I'm easy to get a hold of. I would suggest people hit me up on LinkedIn um, since we've been talking about it. <laughs> my name's spelled funny. It's J-E-R-R-O-D. And then Bailey is my last name. Awesome. Perfect. Great. Jared, thanks again. And uh, I I really do look forward to uh, continuing this conversation at some time and uh, hopefully sharing even more of your wisdom with our audience. Indeed. It'd be my pleasure. Thanks, Omar. Cheers.